0: Um, this message is really about choices and how we make choices and the consequences of our choices. Uh, uh, um, t- almost man, as time goes by so fast. The summer of two thousand, uh, we took a vacation uh, to the Blue Ridge Mountains of North Carolina, where one of the activities that we had planned to participate in was white water rafting and uh, so we, we got there. My sons, Christopher and Marcus, my nephew, uh, Forrest was with us. And so we made our way up the mountain to the Nantahala River. And, um, you know, whitewater rafting, it, it's, it's a great adventure. We did. We got into our raft. We were the only persons on the tour that did not have a guide in the raft with us. And so we did well through all of uh, the the stages on that river. And then we got to the final stage. And when we got to the final stage, one of the tour guides came over to us. And he said, this is the most violent of all the stages on the Nathahala. He said, now, it's going to be easy to navigate, he said, if you just follow my simple instructions. And he pointed out into the river. He said, you see that big rock out there in the river? He said, as long as you avoid hitting that rock, everything is going to be fine. And so we launched out, and you can kind of, you know, already fast forward. You know what happened. As hard as, we, as hard as we were trying to navigate that raft, it just seemed like there was a magnet in that raft. And we picked up speed, picked up speed. We couldn't turn it. And we slammed into that rock. Christopher and Forrest flew out of the raft. Marcus, who's a great singer, he went from singing soprano to tenor. That's how he got his tenor voice. That's, that's what happened. You know, everybody's shoes, oars were every place. And, you know, I thought about that. I thought about how interesting it is that the things that we are warned not to bother with are the very things that we are attracted to. The things that we are told specifically to avoid are the things that we seem to be attracted to. My story is not uncommon. If you're old enough to draw social security, if you've attended a high school graduation, if uh, you own a driver's license, if you are old enough to get a mani or a pedicure or Even if you're old enough to play Angry Birds on your mom or dad's iPad, you know what it means to be attracted to the thing that you've been warned to avoid. No CEOs have gone to jail because they were attracted to the thing that they were warned to avoid. Presidents and parents have lost their credibility. Singers have lost their songs and uh, we've lost our relationships. We've lost because we were attracted to things we were told to avoid. You know, we often say that uh, experience is the best teacher. But let's be honest. Can we be honest today? Just a little honest. Experience is the best teacher. We've heard that, right? But There are some lessons that I wish I had not learned. Yeah. Even though experience is the best. There are some things I know. You know, there's just some stuff I wish I, 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 I had not gone through. There are experiences that we wish we did not have when we look back over our life. There are things in our own biographies that we wish were not there. There are some decisions that if we had it, if we could do it over again, we wouldn't make those same decisions again. And in the words of Bob Seger, most of y'all are too young to remember Bob Seger, but he has a song entitled Against the Wind. And in that song, he says this, I wish I didn't know now what I didn't know then. Uh, Maybe if we could just have one, just one, you know, maybe not all of them, but all of us can look back and say, if I could just have this one, this this one decision back, it would probably change a lot about who I am and how I think about myself and, you know, what has slowed me down in life and what I have spent time pondering over and over and the regrets that I've had. And it's the Bible, the Bible, the Bible, um, everybody say the Bible, addresses uh, this issue. In the very first book, the book of Genesis, this is an issue that it addresses with a lot of clarity. The first 11 chapters of Genesis addresses what we call the origins of things, how certain things happen, how they came to be in the human experience. And so the story in chapter 3 is about a man and and a woman who we come to know as Adam and Eve. And Adam was warned in chapter 2 to avoid eating well God told him he said you can eat from any tree that is in this garden you go for broke um, you, you can you can you can you can have your way with any tree that's in this garden he said but the one tree that's in the center of the garden he said that tree I don't want you to eat from it and and so he had been warned not to eat eat of that tree and God said because the day that you eat from that particular tree um, you're going to die and so uh, he was free he he had freedom he wasn't bound there weren't any limitations except God had commanded him not to eat from the one tree isn't it interesting Interesting how we are always we always seem to be attracted to to the thing that God uh, tells us to avoid. And so you can guess what happened, but if you will turn to Genesis chapter 3 with me, we'll read through the rest of this story and see how it unfolds and see what we can learn from it today. So today's reading starts in chapter 6 of Genesis. This is everybody's lucky day because Genesis is the easiest book I would just say this. If you can't find the book of Genesis, just don't try to find any other book in the Bible. Amen. If you can't find Genesis, it's, it's just no use. It's the easiest book in the Bible to find. It's the first book, the third chapter, verse 6. And so follow along. I'm going to read from 6 to verse 24, so it's longer than we normally read. It says, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it, and also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord walk, Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees in the garden, but the Lord God called the to the man, where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree I commanded you not to eat from? And the man said, <coughs> 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 Well, 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 it, 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 uh, what, what had happened was the woman <laughs> that, you, <laughs> that you put here with me. In my little bachelor pad, uh, she gave me some of the fruit in a smoothie and, <laughs> and I ate it. And then the Lord said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. And the Lord said to the serpent, because of, you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. And you will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity or hostility between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. And he will crush your head, and I will, and you will, and you will strike his heel. So that's the hatred that we have for snakes, right? You, you don't like snakes. It starts here. And to the woman he said, "I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. With pain you will give birth." To children, so don't be mad at your kid. You know it's, it's it's just a part of the consequence. And your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. And to Adam he said, "Because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat it all. Eat of it all the days of your life." It will produce thorns and thistles for you and you will eat the plants of the field. And by the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since it was from there, you were taken for dust. You are and to dust you will return. And Adam named his wife Eve because she would become everyone say become the mother of all living. And the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. And so the Lord God banished him or drove him out from or relocated him from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. And after he had drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the garden. Of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way of the tree of life. Now the moral of this story is marry a woman who prefers to eat out. <laughs> let's let's look, let's look at this text and, and, and let's look at some key points. Uh, how we can deal, how we can learn to deal with the aftermath of a really bad decision, uh, point number one on your worksheets, it sounds like God this time we 've been praying we 've been engaged in this Daniel fast, and one of the things we want to do, we want to hear from God. We want to hear the lord 's voice in our life, and there are many times when you do not hear from God, is that true? Many times you can 't recognize uh, whether or not God is speaking or. or or, or whether or not he's silent. And there are times, uh, there are some times when you can't hear, and there are some times when you're not sure whether it's God or not. But then there are other times when you have no doubt. There are times when you are 100% clear that what you are hearing is the voice of the Lord God himself. And even if you don't believe in God, there are moments when all of us say, "Uh uh-oh, I've really messed up this time. God, but, but, but notice in the text, God loves us so much that he never abandons us to our own failures. And even when I have messed up tremendously, now most people will ditch you and dump you when you've had your biggest mess up in your life. But notice how God does not dump them after they have disappointed him and themselves. The truth is, the more we try to get away from God, the more God pursues us. And one bad decision could cost you your job. Sometimes it might cost you your family. It could cost you your finances. But it does not stop God from loving us. Now, notice God's approach to Adam and Eve's failure. Notice it in the text. There's no fussing or cussing. There's no yelling and screaming. There's no name calling. There are no accusations. There's no long lecture. There is not even any condemnation as he approaches them initially. There's no condemnation at all for Adam and Eve. As a matter of fact, um there's a book that I'm reading entitled the four agreements and in the four agreements, um the, f- the first agreement is to be impeccable with your word, but the second agreement—the uh, sec- the second agreement or the third agreement—is to make no assumptions. Make no assumptions, and you know what causes so much conflict in our relationships? Is because rather than taking the time and doing the work to get to the truth, we make assumptions, which causes assumptions always cause drama. Amen. Or when you jump to a conclusion without all of the facts, it always creates some what? Drama in our relationship. God does not jump to any conclusion. And so so what God does, instead of making an assumption, God begins to ask them questions. Because the way to get to the bottom of anything that you don't know is not to make statements, but to ask questions. And so, he asked questions. So, what he says to to Adam and Eve, he says, okay, please take the witness stand. I've got some questions that I want to ask you. And so, what the first question that he asked them, he says, where are you? Adam, where are you? Where are you? Now, God knew that they were in the Garden of Eden. Yeah, God hadn't lost his mind. He was a a victim of dementia or uh, he wasn't having any memory loss. He knew that they were in the Garden of Eden, and yet he asked the question, where are you? This is, question is deeper than location, yeah. deeper than where you are physically, the space you are physically occupying. The question is, where is your heart? Where is your mind? Where are your emotions? Where are your loyalties? Let me see if I can make this clear. I know you're on your honeymoon, but where are you? I know you're sitting at the dinner table with your family, but where are you? I know you are at your kids dance recital. I know you're sitting on the fourth row and the third seat in the auditorium, but tell me where are you? I know you're at your friend's retirement party, but be honest. Are you really there or are you someplace else? What is going on? Listen, all of us know how to occupy space physically and to be someplace else mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. Am I right about that? And so God is not asking him, where are you physically, but where are you in reality? What is going on in your mind, in your life that, pre- now listen at this, that prevents you from being present where you are expected to be, and where you are needed to be, and where you belong. Sometimes we're there physically, but the things that we've done or the things that we are doing are preventing us from being there emotionally and relationally. All of us have been there. We know how to check out. And so Adam answered him, he said, I heard, I heard you in the garden. Notice, he says, I heard you in the garden. This was before God called him. But God's first spoken word to him was, where are you? And so he says, I heard you in the garden. And then he says, I was afraid. This term does not appear in the text Any place before now, the presence of fear. He says, I was afraid. And then he says, I was afraid because I was naked. And now, after realizing um, my nakedness, I hid myself. I heard you. I was afraid. I was naked. So, I hid. I heard you. I... Was afraid, it was naked, and hid. And so God says, Oh, you, you heard me, you were afraid, you were naked. Well, who told God asked him this question Who told you that? Yeah, who, who have you been talking to? And so this, re, this verse reveals Look at this. This verse reveals uh, Adam says, I heard you. He, he'd heard God before. Uh, I, I, I'm afraid. Uh, that's a new experience. I was naked and, and, and so I hear These are new behaviors. Anytime we've done something outside of the will of God specific, especially for the first time we begin to behave and think differently. Something changes in us and, and so now he's confessing his transforming experiences I was afraid. He'd never been afraid before. I was naked. There was never a problem before. A head. This is new. God says, well, who told you that? The verse reveals, look, the mental confusion that comes along with disobeying God. It's hard to disobey God and keep your mind together. And so he says, I heard you. He recognized, listen at this. He recognized not the voice of God but he recognized the presence of God. There are times when you do not hear God's voice, but you do recognize his presence. There are times that you cannot discern that he's saying anything to you, but you are very well conscious that the stuff that you're involved in and that you're trying to hide from, that God himself, Is right there. In other words, you can sneak around, but you cannot escape the presence of God. He said, I heard you in your presence. In your presence. and, and, And we've been there, haven't we? Haven't we? Those things that we wish we could do back, most of us can recognize even now the presence of God in the midst of our disobedience. See, knowing that God is there means something to us. Yeah. But when we, you see, when we are intentionally, somebody say intentionally. When we are intentionally disobedient, we always misinterpret who God is. He says, I was naked. And God is saying, well, who said nakedness was a problem? You've been naked all the time. It wasn't a problem before. Why is it such a problem now? What's the issue that's going on with you? And and so, you see, when we sin, let me tell you what happens when we sin. You want to know where this stuff comes from. When we sin, when we know that we have done wrong, when we know that we have disobeyed the expectation from God, we begin at that point to hate ourselves. And we begin to disapprove of ourselves. In other words, that which was acceptable to us prior to this becomes a disdain. We become a disdain to ourselves. In other words, this is the very root of what we call low self-esteem, self-hatred. It's how we judge ourselves after we have disobeyed what we know to be the command of God. And our response to sinfulness is always self-hatred self-doubt, hiding, and pretending. And we learn early how to hide. And we learn how to hide well. You see, one of the things I know somebody in here is hiding this morning. Yeah, you're here but you're hiding. Yeah, you, you haven't told anyone the truth. You haven't told your family the truth. You haven't told your spouse the truth. And and as a matter of fact, you have hidden so well that you don't even know how to tell yourself the truth anymore. Yeah, we we learn how to hide and we and we learn how to do it well. And many listen, many people when extended an invitation to serve God and to be a part of what God is doing reject that invitation Outright, They said, no, I, I'm not going to do that right now because to accept an invitation to join God is to take the risk that somebody will discover exactly who I am. And so I've got to hide. I've got to keep myself hidden. Yeah. You see, so when we do not like ourselves, you see, it's hard to serve God when you're hiding. And it's hard to worship God. When you're hiding. So, so when we don't like ourselves, and what happens is that we project that same dislike on other people. And we begin to say that other people don't like us. Other people don't even know you. They don't even know nothing about you. But you, because you don't like yourself, you project your self-hatred onto other people. And you begin to judge other people by the same standard that you judge yourself. And then you begin to reap what you are sowing. And so when you sow seeds of hatred and disdain and haterism about you, what you receive back is that same thing. Yeah. See, we learned very early, you all remember that game hide and go seek. See, the way to win, I, I, I you know, I feel so sorry sometimes for this new generation you got to do everything digitally. That's nice and fun and everything. But some of these games, you just can't get the full experience unless you get outside the house. Am I right? <laughs> yeah, you get outside. And, you know, hide and go seek. The, the thing about hide and go seek, you have a person who is like the captain. And he's the one that's going to count down. And while he's counting, everybody else finds a place to hide. And then he walks and he tries to find them. And he has to get back to the base before that person does That's kind of how it goes, right? Now, the best way to win at hide-and-go-seek. There are basically two basic principles. One is to find a place that the captain cannot think of. Hide someplace that would never come into his mind because what he's going to do, he's going to leave base and he's going to go around, he's going to look for you, he's going to look for you, and his job is to get back to the base before you do. But the other way to win at hide-and-go-seek because he has his eyes closed, While he's counting down is to hide somewhere close, somewhere close, somewhere close that when he opens his eyes initially, he can't see you and you spring on the base before he has a chance. Are y'all following me? And so what some of us have learned to do with God. It's not to go find some kind of secret place far away. We have learned how to get close to God, right there near him, right there in his presence with the hope that we can spring ourselves into a safe place before he notices where we've been hiding. But God's too smart for that. So God then asked the man one more question. See, I see you're having these new experiences. Yeah, you, you, you are afraid, got a problem with yourself, uh, you're hiding from me when we used to have a very open relationship. He said, I want to ask you another question Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you? Sounds like an parent talking to a teenager, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, the teenager said, well, how do you know? How, how do you know? How you know that, mom? Have you eaten from the tree? Listen, hey, you talking about fear? It, you know, James gave us uh, um, uh, 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 an insight into fear, or First John rather. He said, but God, listen, God has not Given to us, what? A spirit of fear. So it does not come from God. He said, have you eaten of that tree? You see, after man failed, note this, and this is what we do. He began to define himself by his failure. Yeah, his whole self-image was based upon what he had done wrong. His disobedience to God, listen, was a major mistake, but it was not final. His disobedience was tragic, but it was not the end. Our personal failure, listen to me, is never our f- the final word. God has the last word. I wish I had some. God, you don't have, you don't have to beat yourself up. You don't have to condemn yourself because you don't have the final word on your own life. God has And and the writer of the book of Romans says, if God, even after we've messed up, if God is for us, uh, who can be against us? The first verse of that chapter says, there is therefore no condemnation, not to those who are perfect, but to those who trust in Christ Jesus. And so our trust in God must always be greater than our confidence in ourselves. Yeah. He defined himself by his failure. That's how he saw himself. And there there is somebody sitting in here right now that you can remember when your confidence was strong, when your focus was great, when your forward progress was consistent, But something happened in your life. You made a poor decision. And since that decision, you have been defining yourself by that historical event. But I have some good news for you today. That God is greater than your own definition. As a matter of fact, God's definition of you uh, trumps your definition of yourself. Yes, here's Adam. He's condemning himself. He does not look at his successes. He does not look at what he has already accomplished. He only sees himself in light of his failure. He's tilled the ground. He's kept the garden up. He's named the animals. He stayed in one relationship with his wife, but he's defining himself solely based on the failure. He hides And he changes the definition of who he is based on the mistake that he made. But you see, this is what I like about God. God kind of knew this was what was going to go down. Yeah. And and, and God knew that this was going to happen and him eating of that tree did not surprise God. That's why God showed up. God showed up. God showed up because he knew it's only going to be so long before the curiosity was going to get the best of him. He's going to figure that he's smarter than what God is. And God shows up. And God says this. He said, let's straighten this out. Let's straighten this out. First of all, in verse 17 through 20, he says, and you want to note this also, note these next three things, uh, that there are consequences. Yet God is saying God is not not, uh, fooling him. He says, yes, there are consequences to your poor decisions. He He said to Adam, because you have listened to your wife, you ate from the tree, which I commanded you not to eat. Cursed is the ground because of you. You are the reason that this is happening. There are social and there are physical and there are uh, emotional consequences and spiritual consequences. And, and through painful toil, you will eat of it the days all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles, and you will eat the plants of the field. Verse 19, and by the sweat of your brow, you will eat food until you return to the ground since it is from, from it you were taken, for dust you are. And thus, you shall return. God is saying you must face the consequences. Now, let me tell you something about that, though. No. He's saying also this, but the consequences won't kill you. <sighs> Hallelujah. Yeah, you must face the consequences. The consequences. The consequences when you're dishonest. The consequences when you steal. The consequences when you lie. But the consequences will not kill you secondly you must continue God is saying to him you must face the consequences secondly he's saying you must continue look at verse 20 look at this, this is a powerful verse after the greatest failure in his life look at what Adam does it says in verse 20 it says and Adam did what named his wife Eve oh it's power in that this is a marriage conference right here in this verse He said, because, look at the next, because she would what? Become, not yet, but become. Uh, something else is starting to happen in Adam's life because of the presence of God. Somehow the condemnation that he was feeling initially is starting to dissipate. And you know how do we know? Because of how he relates to the person that's closest to him. Most of us when we mess up and we have a co-conspirator in terms of someone who's close to us, what we begin to do is to blame, yeah, and to beat up, yes, and to cuss out (laughs) and to go into our own corners and to segregate ourselves and to isolate ourselves and instead of our words becoming uplifting all of our conversations are filled with poison filled with pain and filled with hurt but look at what he pronounces on her life in the midst of her greatest mistake he doesn't say you're going to keep on messing my life he doesn't say I wish God has had never brought you to me he says woman you're going to be somebody great even though you are part of all this this stuff coming apart. Your name is Eve because you're going to become. He was able not to look at where she was but at where she could go. Oh, I tell you what. Oh, it is something when you're in the midst of a funk, when you're in the midst of a depression but you can see the best in somebody else and bless their life. Oh, hallelujah. Wouldn't this help us in our marriages? Wouldn't this help us when our children bring home a bad report card? Wouldn't this help us on our jobs if we could see beyond the mistake? Somebody say become. He said you're going to become the mother of all living. And then the final thing God says is this. You can count on me. You can count on me. He said, man, you messed up. You really did, but you can count on me. Verse 21 through 24 and the Lord God, look at this. You remember what they did initially? When they recognized that they were naked and they didn't like it? They, the Bible says they sold what? Fig leaves. That's some when you, when you go to the, 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 the flea market or the yard sale and get you some something, because that's not like the best you can do, right? There's nothing wrong with the fig leaves, but that was the best they could do. They sold fig leaves. But look at verse 21. Look at verse 21. It said, and the Lord God made garments of skin. He said, hey, boy, give me them fig leaves. Said, you don't know how to dress yourself. He said, it's a this is what God does. He takes the polyester and gives them some leather. <laughs> I wish I had some help in the house. In other words, God God said, look at here. I ain't going to have my children just because you made a mistake. I'm not going to have my children walking around looking like you belong to somebody else's family. Listen, just because you made a mistake, that does not mean that I am not your father and you are not my son. Put these clothes on you. You are a child of the king right now. Look at it. God, hook them up. Put on some leather clothes. See, what the the imagery is this. These fig leaves are going to dry up, break off. If the wind blows, it ain't going to cover what you're trying to cover. But if you use what I give you, it'll last a long time. Can I guess? It'll keep you in the midst of a storm. Then God said you know he said now look at this. Then he says he put him out. He relocated. He, he had to do a short sale on his house. God took him out. You're going to have to move man. And then he put the Bible says he, he put a cherubim at the gate of the garden with a flaming sword So that he would guard the path for him to get to the tree of life. Now, most of us think that God is locking him out. But God is not locking him out. What God is saying is that if you're ever going to get access to the tree of life, you're going to have to go through fire. Now, the fire is not designed to destroy you. But the fire is designed to purify you. Because you see everything in the context of this mind is that fire was what they used in order to purify things. Are you with me? And so what God says, if you're going to get access, you got to come differently. You got to recognize that some stuff in you has to come out of you. This is the same thing that Jesus did on the cross. When Jesus died on the cross, don't you remember that the scripture says that the blood of Jesus purifies us? from all sin. If you sin, you got to come to God correct, but the way to come is by having a change take place in your life by allowing God through the blood of Jesus Christ to wash away, to cleanse you. No wonder the writer said if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to cleanse us, to purify us, to sanctify us, to wash us up, to cleanse us up, to make us right in his sight, one more time. Yeah, he's not locking you out. He's, you out, he's helping you out. He's helping you out, he's helping you to get rid of. He's saying you gotta get rid of that which I did not put in. Fear is not native to you, Adam. It's got to come out because it will hinder you from being who I called you, hiding. It's not native to you. It's got to come out. You've got to learn to be an honest man and an honest woman because it will help you become who I've called you to be. Yeah. and God said, you can count on me. And it's the same thing he's saying to us. Because the truth is, you're looking pretty good in your post-Daniel fast condition about two, three pounds, looking pretty good. But the truth is that some of us in here are hiding. We're hiding. And we've been hiding a long time. But God is saying, the thing that you did that caused you to want to hide, yes, there are some consequences. But I won't leave you to deal with those by yourself. Secondly, he's saying, you can count on me in this. You can count on me. I'm going to help you. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to help change you. And I'm going to continue with you. That's what he's saying. Not leaving you alone. Bow your heads with me. Father,